You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, we kick off the new year by examining our priorities in light of God's Word. If you have your Bibles, please open to Haggai. So, yeah, where's Haggai, right? Go to Matthew and go left three books and you'll come, come to Haggai. I'm going to read chapter 1 because that's where we're going to be. We're not going to uh, specifically go verse by verse, but we're going to kind of look at the themes within this whole chapter. So what I'm going to do is start by reading the chapter, um, if you want to follow along, Haggai 1. And then I will pray for us, and then we'll dive in to what God has for us beginning this new year. So Haggai 1, again, Matthew, hang a left, go a couple books, you will run right into it. Haggai 1, reads this way. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, the Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, um, these people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came too little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on what, on man and beast and all of their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stored up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Pray with me. Father, we uh, thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that we see that you have spoke in all through history. And Lord, today you are speaking to us. You've given your word, just not the New Testament, but the Old Testament. It is a word for us. And today it's not Joe speaking, and it's your word speaking. And Father, I pray that you will prepare hearts and prepare 
hearts to hear your word and to do with it what you are asking to be done. And Father, I pray for your help. Lord, I want to not to be a hindrance today. And Father, I want this, as we leave here today, to be pondering what God has asked us to ponder. Consider your ways. Father, I ask for you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me start by asking a simple question. Why did you come to church today? Why did you come today? Is it out of habit? Oh, it's Sunday. It's habit. I, I come to church on Sunday. Or, or maybe, it, you know, it's, a, it's, it's tradition. Maybe it's tradition. Like my family always goes to church. So we, we go to church on Sunday. Did you come today to hear from God? Like, man, I, I need a, a message from God or an encouragement from God. Or I, I just, I'm here to hear from God. I, I know God. I, I've followed him for many years, but I, I need to hear from God. Did you come today to sing songs? I mean, Nate's a great worship leader, and we usually have a, a pretty cool band up here. And is it just, I'm coming to sing songs, right? Which is good. We sing the word. All our songs here are, are rooted in the Word of God, and um, we are singing His Word back to Him for His glory and for Him hearing His saints sing and rejoicing. Maybe you came for self-justification. Maybe it's, I go to church, therefore God will bless me. Or I go to church, therefore I'm good with God, and He will one day let me into His heaven and be eternity with Him. Now, all those reasons... And we could probably list many, many, many more, have a single caution sign hung on them. All of those reasons are like, we can hide, you know, give a, a caution sign for all those reasons. And, and the sign says this, all of that's about me. All of that is about me. That's the sign that's hung on it. The sign says it's about me. They lean towards self and they lean into consumerism. I'm here today to get something from somebody or this God that, that we serve. Is that why you came today? I'm standing on, not on a stage to perform for you. They did not play music to perform for you this is a platform so that maybe you can see us a little bit better. And before all these electronics and microphones, when this place had no electronics in it, and it, it was a way to project so you can hear. This is not a stage. It's a platform. So church is so much more than you coming to a building and gathering with these people so that you can receive something on this day. Right? It's more than that. The book of Hebrews helps us to see some of the reasons why God has called us to gather together. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, we read this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is a habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, many of you who have been to church multiple times or, or maybe had hit, hit a rough patch where you haven't made it to church for a couple times, you have, might have been beaten over the head by this verse and say, oh, you should not forsake the, the gathering of the saints, right? But man, the, okay, but what else is in this passage? What are we missing? And fundamentally, the church is, is missing this in so many ways. And in my heart and the elders' heart is we're trying to create a culture, not a consumeristic culture. I don't want you to come through that door thinking, oh, I'm here to, because we have a great band. Or, and I know you're not here to hear me do this because I, I, I know my lanes, right? But you're here for a different reason. What does the book of Hebrews show us? Marty, go back to verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another. So when you came through those doors today, you were, you were going to be gathering with your brothers and sisters in Christ, those of which who you are going to be with for all eternity, whether you like them or not. <laughs> and, and, and brothers and sisters, many of us have probably been in different churches in our lives, right? And some of the ones that we left because we we're aggravated at them, they're going to be with you in eternity as well, as long as they are in Christ, so did we come to the door looking for a way to stir one another up in the Lord? And then what's the other thing here in, in verse 25? It says, encourage one another. Encourage one another. So we come through the door and we're looking, who can I encourage? Who can I, who can I ask how they're doing and encourage them, put my arms around them? Maybe there's a new face here today and and, and you could come in and encourage them and welcome them and make them feel welcome. You see that the, the gathering of the saints isn't what happens up here on this platform. It's what happens everywhere within the body of Christ. That's why we gather together. It doesn't end on us. We're to stir up, to love and good works. We're to encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews is pointing us to the truth that when we gather, it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us. Now, our buddy Matt, he, he he's, does wetlands, and, and I've asked him about this. And, and, and what happens to a, a, a body of water that has only inlet but no outlet? And he tells me that everything in there just dies. See, somehow, some way, and I don't know how it happened, that we think that Christianity is nothing but input, 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 input. And that is not Christianity. Christianity has to have an output, or you are not exercising your faith, and therefore, are you truly walking in Christ and by faith? If it's just a nothing but input, if all we do is fill our heads with, with good sermons and, and more Bible and more theology and in and in and in, but there's no output, we will die because it's not how God designed us. It's not how God created us. It is a circle. We, we give. So serving up here or serving in the back, you are not missing out from up here, you are doing what God has called you to do. You get to actually prepare a lesson and you get to mold and shape and help parents um, to, to help them to shape their children in, in the ways of the Lord. I mean, that's wonderful. 
That's awesome. It's not about coming and consuming and sitting and, and hearing this message or filling my mind with this great preacher or that great preacher or this, that, and the other. It, it's more than that. We got to stop ending on that. We got to continue to move forward because, because that's not how God designed it. See, it is truly other focus. Because we are either focused on our brothers and sisters in Christ or we are focused on God when we gather together as the saints. That's how God has designed it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. In other words, get this. You are a means to an end in the hands of God. That the God, the creator of everything, the creator of the world, the one that spoke everything into existence, the one that holds everything together has chose to use us, fallible human beings, to do his work, to be a means to an end, to possibly be the person that shares the good news of the gospel to someone so that they may come to salvation as the Holy Spirit changes their heart and they get to spend eternity in heaven instead of an eternity in hell. That's, that's, that's amazing. Tell me what you gave your life to in 2022 that could be more glorious than that. Nothing. That, that is it. That's the ultimate thing. That is the ultimate thing. And the amazing thing is, is as we are a means to an end for God's, in the hands of God, it is for our joy. There is no greater joy. And for his glory. So in our passage today, we read about Israel. Israel was a means to an end. Right? He was a, they were, a, that whole people was a, a means to an end for God's glory. If we start back in Genesis 3 and look at the seed, the seed goes all the way through. Israel has even, is even a means to an end for us today as we read our Bibles. We read in 1 Corinthians 10 this, in, in verses 1 through 6. Listen to how God has used Israel for us today. We, we can open this book up today and, and he's going to use them as, as a means to an end to help us to help us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. That's, I wish I could dive into that. But anyway, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why? Because of disobedience, right? Now look at verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for who? Us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Means to an end in the hands of God. Being a means to an end is what gives things meaning. It gives them purpose. It gives them purpose. If you refuse to become a means to an end, your life will never have meaning. It will never have meaning. You will, you'll never feel fulfilled. You'll never have purpose because it all rests, rides on, stops on Joe. And that's not how we're designed. It's not how we're designed whatsoever. That is actually the meaning of meaning, is having a purpose. Live for yourself, and you will only have yourself to show for yourself. And you will 
be miserable. You will be miserable. Let me me just give you two reasons. Stop and think of, and I was trying to find something. Okay, what happens if you just give your life to knitting? That the reason why you go to work is so that you can buy more supplies to knit. That your schedule and everything that you do and everything surrounds about your time of knitting. What if everything you do in life has one purpose and that is so you can either knit more or, or knit bigger and better things? Well, you might give some of those things away. But at the end of the day, if that's what you give your life to, you will be a miserable person. You will. And Joe Sawakis, for the first 10 years of my adult life, gave my life to one thing, and that was making money. You know, and I'm, I don't know, the way God designed me, get me in a business, I, I, I was pretty good at it down there in South Florida, running some restaurants and things. And I made a lot of money, but you know what? You can ask my wife this. I was a pretty miserable person, and it was never enough. And I could never make enough. You know, even though we were 22 years old making six figures, it wasn't enough. I had nothing to show for it, and it wasn't enough. So if you focus in and and you look at your life, your schedule, and everything that you do, and all that you see is this is all that it's about, and there is no outflow to the glory of God, and there's no outflow to others, you're probably going to be pretty miserable. I'm just trying to speak from experience. And the second reason is that God gives us this incredible book. It's kind of a depressing book if you read it, but not, and not read it against the backdrop of the whole Bible. We have this book called Ecclesiastes, right? And simply put, nothing, nothing under the sun will satisfy you. The greatest lie we tell ourselves, which is rooted in Genesis 3, is if I only have blank, then I will be happy or satisfied. But brothers and sisters, I would challenge you maybe at some time to to open up that book of Ecclesiastes and read through it. The wisest man that ever lived, the man that had everything that money can buy, the man that had everything, was quite miserable. And he, what did he say? Anything under the sun... Anything under the sun, which is anything us that we can, we can have, touch, or, or feel, is just a vapor, a bull. It's here and it's gone, and it'll never satisfy you. And one thing resides in all of that is everything is fundamentally about self. And brothers and sisters, we are not designed that way. God did not design us that way. He made us in his image. And do we see through the whole Bible how he's thinking of us? He created us, and and then we messed up, and then he made this wonderful plan of salvation. He's thinking of us. We're made in his image. But if you become a means to an end, then your life takes on meaning. It takes on purpose. And some of you might be saying, well, yeah, I am a means to an end, my own end. You'll be miserable. And, and I know that, that like, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old now. I've been on around, going around the sun a couple times. And, and you can take heed of that or you can just blow it away and that's fine. But you will be miserable. You will be. And I, I, I care too much not to, to say that to you. To say that to you. 
If we look in our passage, this is the message that God sent Haggai to proclaim to the Jewish people. Listen to his words. This is not Joe now. Listen to what God says. Listen to what God says. Starting in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. So God's telling Haggai, this is what you're going to go tell these people. It is time for you to reserve to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies in ruins. So he's, he's challenging on this. You guys are, are living your lives and, and you're doing your own thing and, and my house lays in ruins. Look at verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. You have so much. This is where we're getting into where it's, it's Hubble. It's, it'll, it'll, it'll end in nothing. You'll, you'll not be satisfied. You'll continue to be empty. And God's going to reiterate this right here. This is God speaking. You have so much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. A bag with holes. Now, there's some context that is maybe necessary for us to understand that. And if you go and read Ezra, you can see most of that context that's within here. Israel left Babylon behind, right? They were, they were exiled because they would disobey. And then the word of the Lord came to Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia... The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made proclaiming throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of earth, and he has charged me to build him a house of Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you and all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the, he is the God who is in Jerusalem." And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns, he assists by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So, okay, you have disobeyed. I have exiled you. Now I'm going to bring you back and give you a purpose. You need to build my temple, Israel. So Israel left behind Babylon. Excited to establish a new community in God's people that would be light to the nations, a city on a hill. They would rebuild God's temple and the Lord would restore his presence among them. Yet vigorous opposition from the neighboring Samaritans soon brought the work to a standstill. And the Jewish people turned from being a means to an end and turned to themselves. So God sent Haggai to ask a question. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? The word translated paneled doesn't simply mean that their houses were ornated, decorated, ornately decorated. It is an unusual Hebrew word specifically used to describe Solomon's temple, and we know that was the greatest temple ever built um, for man's eyes, right, but not for God's purposes. Four out of the other five times employed in the New Testament. So it's something special about the way he describes this. Haggai's point is that the people have been quite happy to put precisely the kind of time and resources into building their own houses that they claimed were not there to restore God's houses. God's house. Hmm. To bring this into our time today, 
There may be ways that we might see this. I would think the number one resource that we have that, that kind of gets jettisoned from God's work and what God has called us to do is, is our time. That we're too busy. But we know everything that about every um, new series that comes on Netflix. We know all that, but we don't have time to be about God's business. We're too busy. It's busy, busy, busy. So maybe that, that helps us kind of bring it into our idea where these folks were saying, there's no materials to build God's house, but yet they have these wonderful houses that they've been building for themselves. But what we see here, let me back off the gas a little bit. What we see here is God's care about what we prioritize. What we see is that God cares about what we prioritize. God challenges our priorities because God's glory is at stake. His glory is at stake. If our priorities are the same as those who have not been brought from darkness to life, from death to life, from a path of hopelessness to a path of eternal hope, if we have not been saved by His grace, if our guilt has not been taken away, our shame has not been taken away, we should be living a bit differently. And when we don't live that way, His presence is not manifested on earth. His presence is not manifested on earth. Why? Because we don't have a temple that we go to to meet the Lord. We are now the temple that roamed the earth. And we bring His presence to those that don't know Him. We are the temple. And that is why He saved us. This is why He saved us, brothers and sisters. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So to have meaning, to purpose, we are to proclaim His excellencies. Ephesians 2.8 through 10 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So before you were even born, before you were even thought of, before your parents were even thought of, God has prepared a work for you to walk in, to do. He's prepared that. And then, then how this works is as someone proclaims the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes and changes your heart, and then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells with you. And then he has two purposes. He's going he's to push you towards this work that God has already laid out for you, and he's also going to push you to be changing. And this is how we become miserable. Because when we start going against those things, well, there's going to be a war that happens. And I'm pretty sure that God will win out. He wins every time. In my life and in the life of the Bible, He wins every time. He wins every time. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You want to know what 
your purpose is in 2023? You want to know how your life can have meaning in 2023? He saved you for this. He saved you to be part of the ministry of reconciliation. He saved you to proclaim his excellencies. Verse 19, that is, and in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So all I'm really asking you to do today is one thing. Just one thing is all I'm asking. As you, as you leave today, don't come up with some grand uh, plan that you're going to change all these things. It's just like a New Year's resolution by January 10th, it's all going to fall apart. Just being honest, come on. I'm just asking you to do one thing today. And it's in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. That's all I'm asking. So what did Israel do? Let's not leave them hanging. What did they do? We see this in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. What happened? They were convicted of their sin, of unfaithfulness to the Lord with respect to the temple, and they recognized God's justice in judging them, because he is a right, just judge. And he will convict us if we are wrong. This is the effect that hearing God's word should always have on us. What did they do? They repented. They didn't say, oh God, I'm sorry, and then go about their business. No, that's not repentance. That is not repentance. Repentance is agreeing with God in what he just said. Because if you've been convicted of sin, that means God just spoke to you. He, God of the universe, the creator of everything, just spoke to you. He just spoke to you. And you agree with him. And then you ask for his mercy. And then you turn and obey. That's what repentance is. And that's what they did because later on in, in the chapter you can see that they're, they're going about the Lord's work to build the temple. That was their cause. That was their purpose. And brothers and sisters, we can't do this on our own strength. <laughs> Remember I said I just want you to do one thing, consider your ways. Well, your elders are going to be doing something different the rest of the year. We're going to be praying in a specific way. We're going to be praying for the Lord to stir up your spirit. So there's not no 10-step action plan today. It's much scarier whenever you're sitting on this side of the things where what I'm saying is I'm asking you to do one thing and that is to consider your ways. And you know what your elders are going to do? We're going to pray to the God of the universe, the God that made everything, created everything, that he would stir your heart. 
Not so that we can build a great big church. Not so that we can have lots of people. Not so that, that whatever, whatever, whatever. But so that you are not miserable. That's the bottom line. So that you are not miserable. Our prayer for the rest of this year, as your name comes up on my, my rolling thing, as, as, as your name comes up for the day that I'm praying for you, is I'm going to be praying for God to stir your heart. And so will Sam, and so will Tim, and I would imagine that Marty will jump in at some point to stir your heart to consider your ways. To stir your heart to consider your ways. It's exactly what happened in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. I'm not asking for your money to build a house or a new building project. I'm not asking you to come and, and give all your time and make sure that you're here seven days a week. I'm asking you to consider your ways to prioritize your life so that you may glorify God as you go make disciples in your community, at school, at your work. Why? Because until you are a means to an end, really, your life really has no meaning. It has no purpose. And there is no greater end than to glorify Christ. Nothing under the sun will fulfill you until you live for him, which is defined by living for others. That's why I asked you why you came here today. Did you come for you? Or did you come because, man, I get to go to church on Sunday because God is going to use me to encourage or stir somebody up today. Hmm. It's a very different reason to come to church. It's a very different reason that, that, that if you come and, and you're here 10 minutes beforehand and, and you get to talk to someone and you get to do that and then when, when Nate starts and he welcomes everybody and he prays and we start the first song, boy, you immediately have something to worship God about. Why? Because you were just used by him. And now you have meaning and now there's purpose. Let me just close with this passage. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Here's, you got to listen to this. This is the word of God. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is where we find meaning and we find purpose. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I just ask that you would help us to consider our way. Lord, that we will be praying this year for the spirit to stir. And I don't know what that looks like in anybody's lives. That's not for me to know. But Lord, we will pray and we will ask the Lord to move. We will ask the Spirit to stir hearts because 
the greatest joy in the world is when we are used by you to give glory to you. What a wonderful purpose. What meaning for life. Father, I pray that you would help us on this journey to do so. Father, I also ask if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that, Lord, maybe they came in and, and nor you, they're here to have their heart changed by you. Father, I pray that you would do so. That maybe they would turn from trusting in self and turn and trusting in your finished work. That our guilt, that our shame has all been taken away at the cross. I pray that they would see that they have sinned and fallen short and Lord, that they would repent. Father, we thank you so much. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.